into it. So we're in Ephesians 4. And it did not go near as fast as I would hope last week, but that was all right. It was definitely a, I don't know, I enjoyed the study for sure. Um, so what's going to happen this week? Okay, last week we went through the verses 1 through 6 on chapter 4 of Ephesians, right? And all of that, everything that we talked about was stuff that we have in common with each other. That unity that Christ brings um, and those different things. So it was talking about walking worthy of the calling. And then, you know, what we take along on that walk was those seven things, the lowliness and the gentleness and long-suffering and bearing with each other and love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then it went through the list of things that we have in common, the one body, the one Spirit, and just as you've been called, the one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And then we went into how He is of all, right? The Father of all, who is above all, who is through all, and in you all. And that's all this unity that we have together as believers, and being in Jesus Christ. And so the next part, what he goes into, is he actually goes into how we differ from each other. Our individualism, as far as what spiritual gifts he, he's given us. And how that differentiates us from each other. And if you guys remember, we talked about unity. And what the things about unity is not uniformity. And unity, it was a bunch of different pieces that had different uh, uh, functions. All working together for a common goal, Right? That was unity. And uniformity was trying to become one member to try to get a goal done, but it was all trying to be one thing. And we know in 1 Corinthians, it talks about in 11 and 12 and 13, just about all those different, you know, the, the members, and then each one's its own deal, and, and it all works together under the head of Jesus Christ so we can function and do what we're supposed to be doing and bringing Him glory. And so this week is an awesome study. It's a very hard one. It was so hard to get through it because there is a couple ways you can go with it. And so I'm going to try to give you guys um, the different thoughts, especially with uh, verse 8 and 9 and 10, and uh, the ascension, the descension of Christ, and, and that can be taught two different ways. And it is, it, I want to make sure you guys understand, this is not one of those things you divide over. This is not a, a, a super big deal, whether he went down and talked to the guys in hell, or in, uh, it'd be a shell or Abraham's bosom, and then got him out of there, sprung the place. Or whether it's just talking about, well, we'll get into all that. So, I just want to make sure you guys know, I'm going to give them both of the viewpoints and let you guys decide. Um, the focus, though, what I want it to be on is about the gifts. And we're going to go through the gifts. We're going to go through all the different parts in the Bible. Uh, there's three different places in the scriptures that tell or talk about the gifts that are given to us. And it's an important thing in this Christian walk because those gifts are so key in how we work with each other. And unfortunately, a lot of times what happens in churches is usually it's one person, two person, or one gift, two gifts, three gifts that are the center focus, and everybody's trying to have those gifts, you know, and, and we saw that in 1 Corinthians, right, or in the, in the church in Corinth, and how they thought tongues and prophecy were the prime ones that everybody was seeking after, and uh, it ended up becoming this whole battle. And uh, we can see it throughout all different churches. Um, you know, one of the ones that sometimes I think we struggle with is a teacher, that, you know, that's one of the ones because we definitely believe verse-by-verse verse teaching is a key important part. In some churches, what they've done is they've isolated it to only the pastor, and that is the all of all, you know, the gift that's got to be sought after when that's just a piece of the puzzle. That's just a piece of being part of that body that every single one of us has some key function that we need to be doing and making sure we're performing it in the spirit and the power that he's given us. And so that's what we're going to go through tonight and uh, what he's going to teach us through his word. So... Let's just pray. Lord, we love you, and uh, we just want to come before you again just to sit at your feet and uh, have you teach us, Lord, uh, through your scriptures and 
Lord, really, especially just to see the individual things that you've given us, these gifts that you've given us, and how they're supposed to be used in edifying your church and building it up, Lord, and that we be careful with the gifts, too, Lord. Um, we want to bring glory to you, and Lord, I ask you, please just use me tonight to speak your word, and uh, just to teach us, Lord. It's an exciting chapter because it shows us how important these gifts are, that you gave it to us, you've given us the power for it, and the joints, and the, the, the bonding that comes through those gifts with each other, Lord. And I ask that you just teach us tonight on how important they are, that we wouldn't write them off, and uh, you know that we would just be careful on how we're using them for you, Lord. And so we just come before you and ask that you just teach us. We love you. Amen. All right, so in verse 7, we'll go ahead and just get right in there. It says, But to, te- to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And that's that individualism, because it says to each one of us. And so right there, he's taking it and saying, each one of us, this grace has been given according to the measure of Christ. And right there, those two key things, to each one and according to Christ's gift. It sets up for the context of what's going to follow. And I say that point because sometimes people get into the scripture, especially 8, 9, 10, and they'll just focus in on where did Jesus go during those three days. And that's all they pull from these scriptures. And they miss the whole point of what the context here, it's talking about each one of us and what we have and what God and Christ has done for us in that gift. And not only that, but that last part of 8 where he says, and he gives gifts to men, it's kind of, it's missed sometimes. And so I want to make sure that we understand that these, this first verse is just setting it up. It's our thesis statement. In verse 8, he goes back and references back to that. And he says, okay, so therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. And gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean, but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And so when you look at this, it breaks down in those three different parts in verse 8. Okay, so we have, when he ascended on high. Then we have, he led captivity captive. And we have, he gave gifts to men. And the first one, I mean, it's an easy one. Right? There's no controversy there when he ascended. Well, we know that automatically, well, where did he go? He went to sit, right? I love, I, it was so cool because as I was going through this, I'm, I'm reading some other guys' thoughts on it, and it's, it's so many different guys out there, people that are very credible, and they had opposing views on this. And I'm like, Lord, this is confusing me so bad right now <laughs> on what is it. I don't understand, you know, where do you, you want to go with this? And right away, I just looked off to the left side in my Bible, and in that chapter 1, it was like it mapped it out exactly what we're talking about right here. So each one of these, these, these little uh, sentences or these little parts of the sentence, they actually correspond with uh, verses over in chapter 1. So we'll look at that. So when he ascended, look at verse 20 of chapter 1. He said, "...which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places." There's the ascension, okay? That's where he ascended. Then the next one, look at it, it says, He led captivity captive. And it says in verse 21, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. And then just into part, uh, the first part of verse 22, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all the things to the church. And so right there you see that. And that's where this is going to start getting a little bit different here. Because usually you won't see this side of it in this captivity captive. And those interesting those words, because when it says he led, those, or he led captivity captive, 
Some ways that this is translated is that the captivity, so that which kept us captive, the enemy, the world, and that, he led those and he brought those into captivity. And that's corresponding with verses 21 through 22, where it's saying that he's been given power. He's over this. It's, it's basically, uh, you know, over in the, in, uh, I can't remember which verse it is, where it talks about it being his footstool. You know, he put the enemy under to be his footstool. I think it's over in Acts. Let me see real quick just to make sure. <laughs> I thought I wrote it down, but... Acts 2, 34 and 35, it's when uh, Peter uses it in the sermon. He says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. And right there we see another one of those places in Scripture where it's putting those two together. The ascension and then putting the enemy under the foot, or, you know, as his footrest. And basically showing that power over him. Well, then when it, that verse right there where it says he led captivity captive, what it, the, the Greek and, and what it's talking about, those words there, what it was always used for is a Roman uh, uh, emperor, when they would go and they would take over somebody, what they'd do is they'd take their captive and they'd lead them and pray them through the streets to show that they'd conquered them. And so that's one of the ways that some people have interpreted the scripture and pointing back to when he's saying that he led captivity captive and then he gave gifts to men. And the gifts to men, it goes right into the church on verse 22 of chapter 1, you know, and it says to be head over the all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, who fills all. That's that gift, right? And it's so interesting that right there we have these verses that go right along with it. Now, the other viewpoint, and I don't oppose this viewpoint, I'm just not looking at the scripture and saying this is the definite one because it's very hard to just take it out and say this is concrete, this is what it's about. But when you look at these scriptures... When he says he led captivity captive, usually what will happen is it's talking about, and people believe that it's um, when Christ went down, uh, when he, you know, he dies on the cross, and they go and bury him. Well, those three days, what they believe is because, let me make sure I'm going in order here. There is, uh, uh, there's Hades, and there's Sheol, and Sheol's kind of like um, um, Abraham's bosom, okay? They're kind of in the same area. It's in Luke is where we get this from, in Luke 16, 22. And it's that whole parable that Jesus gives about Lazarus, the rich man, and how the, he went down there and the other poor guy is over there and he's talking back and forth and it's actually a place they must be able to see each other because the guy's like, hey, give me some of that water. Or it's the rich man and Lazarus, I'm sorry. How about we go over there so I don't mess it up. I'm butchering it already. Go over to Luke 16. Luke 16, verse 20. Yeah, I said Lazarus, the rich man. Sorry, that was wrong. <laughs> you can see there in your title, the rich man and Lazarus. So in verse 19, let's just read through it. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared uh, subtupsily every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid on, at, at his gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died, and he's carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this, fl in this flame." 
But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and, the Lord, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now uh, he is comforted and you are tormented. And so it's talking about this place that's there. Okay? Now it's an interesting thing, and some people will try to write off this parable and say it's just a parable, it's a, it's a, you know, a fictitious story, and, and he just made it up. Did you guys know that this is the only parable that he actually used people's names in? It's interesting because he gets very definitive, I mean, defines what's going on. He gives a place even. A lot of the parables, he doesn't even give the place. It's kind of just the situation that's going on. So it's very pointed in what it's talking about here. And what we read throughout the scriptures, if you guys do a study, you can go through and study Hades. And Hades, what it talks about is that's kind of this place that's the storage tank waiting for Gehenna or the lake of fire or hell. Okay? They're different things. Hades and hell are different things. And so you have this place here where it talks about this one guy, the rich man's over in Hades, and then you have Abraham's bosom, which is Sheol. That's the, that's the Hebrew word for it. And it looks like it's this place where they can see each other because he says, you know, he can see him, and he can even communicate with them. And we don't, I don't, it's, it's a thing that, this is all, we have limited insight into the scriptures here. This is all we can take from it. But what it's believed is that what Christ does, and this is from other scriptures I'll give you, Christ, during that time when he, he died, he goes down here and he preaches the gospel to these guys that had already believed beforehand. They were looking for the Messiah. And then he takes them up into paradise. And so there no longer is an Abraham's bosom. There is no longer a Sheol. Now, Hades still exists. It's still the storage because what's going on is these people are waiting there until the great judgment. And we know that from Revelations, right? And other scriptures. And what happens is that they're going to be placed there before the throne, get judged, and then it, remember it t- says that he takes death and Hades and he throws them into the lake of fire or hell or what the word that is used in Greek is Gehenna. Gehenna was a place right outside of Jerusalem and it was this valley where they would go out there and they'd throw all their trash out there and it was just a consistent fire all the time. And so Jesus related it to that, just an internal flame that was going on. It speaks over and over again about that's what's going to happen. And so that's where we're at. That's the defining of those terms and everything and we get to see this part where it looks as though from the scriptures, if you guys go back over to Ephesians. And reading again in verse 8, Therefore he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And when it says captivity, captive, usually what will happen is they'll go over to Judges, or you can go over to Judges 5.12, and what it talks about there is actually bringing in your captive. And the way it defines it there with this king, and I can't remember all the names, I didn't write them down, if you guys want to go check it out, it uses the same term, captivity, captive. And it's talking about them going back over and getting their own people that have been captive and bringing back the captives. And that's how they use those terms there. So it's really hard because you get into these words and you're like, you really have to study them. And even after studying them, I'm still like, I can't nail it down. Like it just won't go where I want it to go. It won't fit in the right hole. Then you move on and you look down and it says that uh, it descended in the lower parts of the earth. And I was like, okay, there, concrete, descended in the lower parts of the earth. However, that of right there, uh, they threw that of in there, and that, that of can be three different forms. It can be three different ways of looking into the scriptures. So here's the three different ways that it can be uh, translated. First of all is, is that these three different meanings that can be taken from it is that 
they're all centered around that word of. And the first one is, you would look at it as the incarnation. So you would actually look that Jesus is coming down, and what it's talking about there is him coming down to the earth, descending down to the earth, coming in that humility that it talks about. And the reason that it does that, it would, be, it would read out this way, if you, if you uh, use the word in, in this sense, it would be into the lower parts, namely the earth. That's how it would be translated. And that's if you guys want the, the English terms, which I went and tried to study that. You guys can have fun with that. It's a genitive of apposition. Okay, that's that form of grammar there. That's the incarnation part. Now, looking at it as if he went down into Sheol and got those guys and boosted them out of jail, that would be into the, this is how I would read out translation, into the parts lower than the earth is how you would interpret that. And that's a genitive of, of comparison. I know this is whatever. Some of you guys are totally into this. That's good. <laughs> then the third one is looking at it as it's the grave. When it says the lower part of the earth, it's actually talking about the grave. Okay, not going all the way into the center. And the way that that's interpreted is it would say into the lower parts which belong to the earth. And that would be a genitive of possession. Okay, so that's the different ways that you can take it. And you can go over to 1 Peter 3.19 is another verse that's supported or used. If we want to read over there. 1 Peter 3.19. And what 3.19 says is, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. But here's another thing that can be interpreted two different ways. I'm not going to go through all the grammar on that. Just the one word preached. Preach isn't used, and many times in the scripture when it says preach, it uses a word that means evangelize or to use the gospel message of the good news. In this one, it doesn't. It just means to proclaim. And so people, some people interpret this scripture as that he went down, and especially because of the context in verse 20, it says, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. Because it pairs it with the time of Noah, and not all time, right, before Christ, and just pointedly in that, we know that there were spirits at that time that were messing around, and he put them in the abyss. So what it's saying is that he's going down there and proclaiming his death and resurrection, that he conquered. And that's what he's proclaiming to those spirits. It actually is, and he's going down and proclaiming to uh, uh, people that are waiting to, to go up. So there you go. There's both sides of it. Now you guys are clear on it, right? I just wanted to give you guys both sides just because it, it is interesting. You can go and search it. I don't think it's that big of a point, honestly, because I look at it, it Jesus said to the thief on the cross, he said, this day you will be with me in paradise, right? It didn't take three days. He said that day. Another one is when the, the veil was torn. Do you think that he had to wait those three days or kind of do a process through those? No, when that veil was torn, there was access to heaven. That's what that meant. And so there was that access right there. So just interesting things to look at and to see. And you guys can come up with your own conclusion on that. However, I think it's best, and I wanted for tonight, look at the context of it and really focus on those gifts. Okay, so putting aside and, and looking, and he says he gave gifts to men, and then verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now we're just given four of them here, and you, you can look at these maybe as just some positions or, or, uh, or the actual gifting on, on as far as the, the skill set that's given for it, in however way you want to look at it, whichever. But 
these spiritual gifts that he's talking about, these four that he gives here, we'll go through those, but then I also want to go through the other ones. Um, I was talking with a lady the other day, uh, and she was really bummed out because she just went to a Bible study, and they really wanted to explore each other's gifts and see what your gift was. And so that was the whole thing is everybody went around the circle and talked about what their gift was. And I don't know if you've been put in that situation, but sometimes you kind of feel, I don't know if it'd be ashamed or kind of, you know, it, it, you don't know. You don't know exactly what your gift is, and so you're kind of like, you're in front of everybody, and you're wondering, well, I don't really know if I have a gift, and so then you start questioning other things. Well, that's not what it's about. The cool thing about the scriptures is that it talks about every one of us has at least one gift. At least one. Over in 1 Corinthians twelve twelve, it talks about that, and it's talking about that we all have that gift. It's actually 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 12. Let's go ahead and jump over there and read it. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Okay, guys, after this you can't be ignorant about this stuff. That's why he gave it to us. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, uh, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given, and here it is, to each one for the profit of all. And that's a big deal, guys. It's to the profit of every single buddy, every, every single person in this room. And we're going to go over that. Each verse that we read, focus on that. After, at the very end, when it talks about the gifts, it's always talking about edifying each other, building up, using these as tools to help each other out. And so moving on in verse 8, it says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of the spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, in verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills it. Go over to Romans 12. This will be one of the other lists that we're going to check out tonight. Romans 12, 3, 3 through 8. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And that's that each one again. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. Perfect example of unity, like what we've been talking about, right? Uh, one body. But in the same members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in the proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, I think it's funny how he says it after each one, like you wouldn't know what it is, you know. <laughs> he who exhorts in our exhortation, he who gives with liberty, and he who leads with diligence. 
He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. I went too far. I was just saying to eight. <laughs> and then we have the other list over there in Ephesians 4.11. And that's where we find all the gifts. What it talks about in the scriptures is having these different gifts. And so let's start looking at each one. We'll go ahead and start over there. You guys want to turn back, but let's go back over to Ephesians. And we'll just stick there. Back over Ephesians 4. So the first one being apostles, it says, right, they themselves gave some to be apostles. Now, an apostle is one that's sent out with a commission, right? That they're sent out, divinely appointed representative. Now, this, if we hold to the strict New Testament definition of what an apostle is, each one of the apostles, every apostle that they name in the scriptures, saw Jesus Christ, right? They saw the resurrected Lord. That was one of those things that you had to have. That was the credibility. And then also the signs and wonders that he would bring along with them, not just the apostles, but he'd also give it to the prophets. And he talks about that over in Hebrews. And it says that he gave evidence and through those things. And that's how we knew that what they were speaking was the truth through those signs and those miracles. And so when you're looking at these guys, the apostles in the truest form, if that you hold to that strict form of the New Testament, really we don't have apostles today. And the thing is, is that each one of us has an apostolic ministry, don't we? We're still commissioned. But if you hold to the strictest form and what it's talking about and defining an apostle, there isn't any apostles according to what the New Testament had. But over in like John 20, 21 is where we find that each one of us still has a responsibility to do one of the jobs that the apostles had. Over in John 20, 21, let's see. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me. Guess what? I also send you. Right? We've been sent out. We've been commissioned. Just like what it says, one sent with a commission. Now the next one it talks about there in Ephesians is the prophets. And the prophet is what claims the word of God. And we see an example in Acts 11.28. There's a guy there that prophesies what's going to happen in the future. He prophesies about a famine that's going to be coming. And then in Ephesians 3, 5, you guys can just look right over there at that one. It talks about it. It says, Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And what's with the prophets, if you guys look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's verse 2. Yeah. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand the mysteries and all of the knowledge. It's just kind of defining what prophecy is, is, is talking about there that you understand the mysteries and all knowledge. Now, one of the things is that a lot of people, and, and I'm not set on this at all, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to give you an opinion, but some of the, the things are some people believe that definitely there can be an apostle today, and that there can be uh, prophets in the sense of the New Testament. Now, to say that the work of those is finished and completely terminated, there's also that side of it that people say that that doesn't even exist anymore. There isn't miracles, there isn't healing, there isn't any of that stuff. Now, we definitely don't believe that. We see God working. With the prophets and the apostles, though, in the scriptures, like what it says there in verse three, or in chapter 3, verse 5, it's talking about you know, the, this wisdom that's been given to them. And over in Hebrews, it also talks about that, signs and the wonders. And what's believed is that now that's no longer needed because we have the New Testament. And back in this time, they didn't have the New Testament. It wasn't written down. There was a couple letters going around, 
but it wasn't all canonized and set up the way it is now through the scriptures. And so what's gone on is that people will hold to and say that there's absolutely no prophets and no apostles nowadays because the scriptures have been given to us. And so there's no longer any need for that. Now, whether in the truest form of what this is talking about in the New Testament, it's pretty clear there. However, those workings are not eliminated. Prophecy still happens nowadays. You still have a word of the Lord. And, and I find it very difficult to believe that God would go ahead and give us through 1 Corinthians the way that prophecy should happen if he wasn't counting on us having prophecy now. I mean, it would kind of be a weird thing if he just gives that scripture just to the Corinthian church and ends it there, you know. The scriptures, when you see the stuff that's, that's for us today or can lead into today, you can't just eliminate it and say it's no good. And so I find it interesting. So I definitely, personally, I would believe through the scriptures that it's showing that, yeah, that still happens. God's going to give us this word for today. Now, having the traveling prophet that has this new word of God, be careful. So I'm going to say, be careful. You take everything that they say and you go right back to the scriptures with it. And maybe they, you know, if it goes and lines right up with the scriptures, hey, they're, they're giving the word of God because we're seeing it right here in the scriptures, Right? But some new word, be very careful. And you guys know there's so many cults out there that have started because of this new word. I was talking with a guy the other day, and I, I thought that he was sort of another, you know, kind of denomination. We're talking, I'm going off about how awesome God is, and God does this, and, and we get into not owing God anything, you know, as, as, as far as, like, we have to pay up. And he's like, nope, that's not true, 10%. I'm like, oh, okay. Wasn't expecting that one coming. I'm like, well, I don't really see in the scriptures that it's this exact 10%. You know, there's, there's cheerful giver. There's still the giving that takes place. And he goes, nope, Malachi. And, you know, he names it off. I'm like, yeah, that's... And, and I was like, okay, how far do I want to go with this conversation? And I, was, I just was deciding, like, you know what? I want, I want to see if this guy actually believes that he has to do some merit towards God to keep that relationship intact. And that's definitely what he believed. And, and, and then later it came out, and, and as we were talking about this, and I went back to Psalms, and it said, well, you know, God doesn't want sacrifice. He wants a broken and contrite heart, right? And the guy goes, well, that is sacrifice. And I was like, a broken heart? How and what? <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever. And then he goes, you know, I'm LDS, right? I'm like, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> and I was like, boom. And if you guys don't know, that's Mormon, another word for Mormon. It's not a drug. Um, <laughs> get the initials right there, right? <laughs> So I was like, I didn't know what to say after that, because then where do you go? It's like, okay, you believe in completely different Jesus than I do, and, and you believe in one man that nobody else could, you know, confer what he was saying, Joseph Smith. And so it just got interesting, and, and the whole thing about that is that they believe in this one prophet, Joseph Smith, that he's the one that gave this new word, and it's called the Book of Mormon, and blah, blah, blah. And now you have this whole cult that started out of it. And it's unfortunate, because they didn't go back to the scriptures to counter and see if what he was saying was true. If you put those two books together, it's plain as day. That Book of Mormon is not lining up with what the Word of God says. And it's unfortunate. So just be careful. Now moving on to evangelists. Some he gave to be evangelists. And evangelists, this is one of those ones that we're like, oh, it's a gift. And I'm not gifted. So there's no way I'm going out there to talk to anybody about Jesus. Well, guys, you know what? Jesus knew we'd do that. And so the Holy Spirit put some scriptures in there for us that we're still being supposed to do the work of an evangelist. Now, it's not we are evangelists, and we don't have that defined gift like Billy Graham or, or uh, 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 the guy with Harvest. What's his name? Greg Laurie. 
We don't have that gift that's there. And you see those men, as soon as they speak, it's like, bam, you know, the, the spear moves and it's awesome. But we're still, still supposed to be doing the work of evangelists. And if you guys want a verse for that, 2 Timothy 4, 5, when Paul tells Timothy, you need to do the work of evangelists. That's a pretty easy one. I think you guys know what evangelist is, right? The one that gives the good news, the gospel message. All right. And then it moves on to pastor, teacher. And this one is an interesting one because what will happen here is that sometimes people want to divide the two. When you look at the words that it's giving here, it, doesn't, it says some on each one, right? Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some pastors and teachers. It doesn't say some pastors and some teachers. And so it puts them together. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to be hardcore about this and say pastor-teacher goes together every single time because we've seen those other ones that we read that teachers completely set apart from being pastor, and there's also the gift of leadership, which is kind of a pastoral role. It's very rare, and I don't know if you guys have been, those of you that have been in other churches and a lot of different ones, it's very rare to find a man that is a great pastor and a great teacher. I've been in so many of the different ones where the guy is just, uh, he's an unbelievable pastor. The guy cares so much for you. His leadership's just unbelievable, and it's so close, but his teaching is, you have to endure. <laughs> You're like, yep, this is coming from the Word of God. And it's just not, there's not the, the, I don't know, the teaching there. And then I've seen on the other flip side, uh, the guy that sent us out to Costa Rica, awesome teacher. This guy was an unbelievable teacher. Every time he went in there, it was just like, oh, wow, that is so rich, and I've never seen it from you know, that view, and it wasn't so far off to where it was kind of, you know, a heretic, but it was just awesome to hear from the scriptures, but the guy was not a pastor. As far as being a shepherd to the sheep, it just wasn't there. And, and I say this because he admitted himself that, that he wasn't a good pastor. He, and he saw that. He definitely had the gift of teaching. So going back to each one of us has one of these gifts, and maybe we have a couple of these gifts. But you guys have to remember that each one of us has that gift. And if you guys don't know, as we go through the rest of this list, you know, just pray about it. I'm sure you guys can find out the different gifts. I mean, this lady was so bummed out, and right away I could tell her what her gift was. I mean, her, she had the gift of hospitality. She let us come into her home. I mean, we raided her fridge. I felt bad because they came back after a couple days, and there was no more Coke in the fridge. And I'm like, <laughs> we drank everything up. It was, but she was so kind. And every time I'm there, I was like, no, please, no more. You know, she kept trying to give us food, and I'm like, we got to work while we're here. <laughs> and uh, she had the gift of hospitality. And it was great to encourage her and show her that, like, don't fret. Like, God has given you a gift, and it's a beautiful. You're, you're definitely a part of the body. And it's unfortunate that the enemy will sometimes use that to kind of take you away from the body. Well, I'm not really included because I'm not a, big, I'm not a good teacher. Uh, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. And you start naming the list, and then all of a sudden you get bummed out and don't see that you have a part in the body. And don't let him do that to you guys. Every single one of us in this room has to have each other if we're going to edify and this church is going to be built up. And if we get to bring that glory to God like he deserves. So the next one. So that was in the preacher's teachers. And I know you guys know a preacher teacher. You guys can go over to Romans 12, uh, 3 through 8 if you want for the rest of this list. Some of these are, are, are uh, gifts that are overlapped in these. So I just took the ones. Of course, we're not going to overlap them. So the next one over in Romans is ministry. The gift of ministry or ministries. And this is the, this is the gift that you attend to needs. Uh, you know, you really, and this is another one that actually compassion has to be involved in this. You can't really minister to anybody if you don't have compassion on them. We see that with Jesus Christ, right? Can you imagine Jesus Christ trying to minister to somebody that he doesn't have compassion on? 
It doesn't work. They have to go hand in hand. And so the gift of ministering, attending to people's needs. And then you have exhortation. And what this is, this is to strongly encourage or urge someone to do something. It's an influence. And so it's, it's, swaying, it's, it's showing them, here, here's the way. You know, I want to urge you. This is the scriptures. Let me show you. I want to exhort you. I want to bring you to this place of where Jesus is. And you can see him very clearly in the scriptures. And, and, and being able to exhort. And it's actually a very hard one sometimes, isn't it? Uh, some of you guys that have that gift of exhortation, it's kind of, you definitely have to blend love in there. <laughs> as you go and the Lord lays something on your heart to be able to encourage or, or push somebody in a certain direction. And I want to make sure this is understood. It's not the direction you feel they should go, you know, or that you see is wrong with their lives. So, you know, wives with your husbands or vice versa, you might not have the gift of exhortation there. It might be just the, yeah, <laughs> the whole relationship deal. <laughs> so it's one of those things you definitely, of course, in any of these, because it's given by the Holy Spirit, it has to be led by the Holy Spirit, Right? The next one is giving. I know some people in here, man, they're awesome givers. And it's just freely transferring your possessions. Freely. Like, I don't know if you guys have been around the givers, you know, and you're just like, okay, you can stop. (laughs) Because I owe you so much now. (laughs) And in their minds, they're not even thinking about owing. Owing, what? And like that story I told you guys about up in, in the Dalles, just the whole mentality of where the Oregon Trail stopped there and because there was a whole trading that happened because you either went over the mountains or you went down the river. And so that trading mentality, with that, that owing is still stuck there to this day. Anytime my parents tried to do anything for anybody, it was like, whoa, 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 whoa what are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm just trying to help you out. No, no, because I, I, unless I can give you something back or whatever, and that mentality was there where they had to owe each other. And with the giver, it's not even in the mind. It's like, what can I do for you? It's a good friend to have if you guys have a giver. <laughs> My little brother, man. How many of you guys had little, little siblings that were giving you the candy because you ate it all too fast? Anybody else have that problem? <laughs> yeah. My mom always tell me, leave him alone because he'd savor it. And then he'd give me whatever I wanted. So I, was, I got always a candy and a half. <laughs> yeah. Then the next one is Leading. And leading, uh, you know, this could go along with pastor, is showing the way. But it's not just showing, like, here you go, here's the way to go. It's, it's leading. You're in front of, your, you're the one that's going before. You're ex- escorting that person. And you're leading them where they need to go. And I know definitely there's, there's different parts where we prayed for this as parents. Like, I want to escort my children in the right, right way. Um, yeah, definitely can be a hard one sometimes. We always want to say that one saying, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> it doesn't work, does it? They always follow what they're seeing. So the next one would be merciful. And merciful is having compassion. It's forgiving, and it's not giving what is deserved. You know, that merciful person, and it's sad sometimes because this merciful person, when they have that gift, it's almost as if they're abused. Because you see that, okay, there's no consequences with them, and so I'm going to go ahead and do it again and again. And maybe we're not outright doing that. We just know we can get away with it. And it's one of those things as us that are, don't have that gift, be careful with those people. Don't abuse that gifting that the Lord's given them and being merciful towards you. The next one, this, now the next ones will be over in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. The one there would be Wisdom. Wisdom is the soundness of action or decision with the right application. So it's the action or the decision with the right application. 
And wisdom is one of those ones that we always pray for or we want, right? Even in James it says, you know, hey, if you lack it, pray for it. And those one of the decisions that we want to make throughout each day. And it's so good in the congregation, in the church, to have people of wisdom, isn't it? Because there's decisions that have to be made, and it's so good to have those people there to make that wisdom, those wisdom choices, or to help push along or to, to guide and even that leading, that exhortation that needs to take place. And then knowledge. And sometimes these are blended together. Sometimes we think, well, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Well, wisdom is taking something that's been done over and over. We see that, and then it's applying in the right place. It's, it's making that. Now, knowledge is, is facts or information or skills that are acquired through the experience or education. And that's the difference. That's the knowledge. And that one's kind of a hard one because when we look at it, we're like, well, how's that a gift? Because you actually have to do some stuff to acquire it, and then we feel that we've earned it because we've done it. So I've gotten this education, I have this knowledge now, God, where were you at? You know, I went, I went to these schools, and, and that's not the way it works at all. The knowledge that he gives you guys, and I know you guys have had this happen, where it's all of a sudden you understand something that was not clear before. And especially as we go through the scriptures, that awesome knowledge that he gives us. Well, he gives some of us that gift of just having that knowledge in the scriptures. You know, and I know one guy in here especially that, just the things that he pulls out of the scriptures is so awesome. And just that knowledge that God's given him there, you can definitely see that's one of those gifts there. Faith. Faith is one, oh, it's a great gift to have, isn't it? <laughs> Not to doubt, <laughs> to always have that faith. So it's the confidence or it's the trust in a person or substance. Or, sorry, faith is confidence or trust in a person. And then we get from Hebrews chapter 13, what is it, chapter 11, Verse 1, it says it's the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen, right? And usually what happens is that the world would look at this gift and kind of ignore it and say it's foolish. You know, this is one of those dumb things. And it cracks me up because every single movement, everything that they decide to do, you have to have faith in it. You do. And you have to have faith in every little thing that you end up doing. Science, even take that. You know how hypothesis is? It's faith. It's faith that this thing's going to turn out this way, so I'm going to go ahead and try to do the experiments to prove that it does happen that way. If you didn't have faith that it would go that way, you would never try to do the experiment to try to prove it. And so it's funny because they try to eliminate it out of science and take it all out of there. And the other one is healing. And this is an awesome one. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that or been around it. Healing is an awesome thing to watch happen because you become so small when it happens. That along with miracles. When you get to see God work and where he, you know, those miracles where he takes the laws that he set over this earth and he bends them, you know, he takes it out of context of what we're used to, you feel really small because you're like, wow, I have no power whatsoever in my surroundings or what's going on here. And I know you guys can testify, and I know there's awesome different testimony in this room of how God has worked out and things that have happened that you guys have seen with your own eyes. I'll just give you one example in Marietta, unfortunately, I wish I could have seen this, um, but all the concrete crew, I don't know if you guys have been around concrete crews, and they use this big pump. All it is is a big motor that they haul around on a trailer, and it has this pump, this line, and they stick one end of it into the cement truck, and then the other is this, this line that they can take wherever they need to go. So if the truck can't get back in there, then they can pump it. There's a lot of pressure going through that line. Well, what happened with this guy is that it plugged up, and when that line plugs up, when that pipe goes, it's a bad deal. There's concrete everywhere, and it's a very dangerous situation. Well, they're over there, and it got a plug into the system. And so this guy's over there hitting 
the end of it, trying to get the class fund done, and all of a sudden it exploded. And on the end of these things, they're a hard rubber pipe, and then on the, metal, on the end, it's a big old metal clasp. And that metal clasp, he was standing right over it, came up and busted him in his face. And when he came up, the guy saw him, and his whole face was sideways. I don't want to be gross with you guys, but it was just, they said it was horrible. It was on the side, and, and uh, they all ran over there, and he was bent down, of course, just in a lot of pain. And they all laid their hands on him and started praying for him. And when he came up, his face was perfectly straight. They took him to the doctors, not one fracture in his face. And just awesome things like that does happen, guys. It's a cool thing, and it's a neat thing to be a part of. And just to get to see how small. I know you guys have an awesome testimony of what God's done in your own lives or other stories that you guys have heard too. Discernment. The ability to judge well. Got to have that one, don't we? And discernment, and what it talks about there in 1 Corinthians is discernments especially of the spirits. And it's interesting because the spirits, especially the demons, like to get in and twist things up. And it's good person, good to have a person there for discernment. You know, like if Adam, I wonder if he had the gift of discernment. <laughs> like he should have been there at the tree and he would have discerned, hey, evil spirit, <laughs> Satan inside that snake. You know, I don't know. Anyways, discernment, the ability to judge well and to see what's going on, to see what's going on behind the situation. And it's a neat person to be around because they're so focused and they understand that there is this other world that's going on, that spiritual world. Now tongues, one of the ones that First Corinthian, or the Corinthian church had uh, that they really put up there. And the speaking of tongues and what it is, I definitely believe it's not something that is a rambled or some some made-up thing out there, because it's very clear in the Scriptures. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, it says, that, you know, even if I speak the language, or the, the language of men or angels, it only gives two, two different types. It doesn't say some gibberish. So he's talking about, and so tongues are either speaking in what the angels, they must have their own language, or speaking as the different languages of men. And it was cool, my wife got to experience this one. And it was out of a little context. It wasn't one of those, like, you know, prayer meeting and speaking in tongues. What had happened was, is when we first got to Costa Rica, there was this lady been asking us for help over and over again. And so what happened was, is we're trying to get her plugged in with the church that we've been going to. We don't know any Spanish. Shelly's doing a little bit better than me. She's getting a little bit further. I don't know how many months were we there, three months or so? Yeah. So anyways, this lady was just going around using everybody is what we found out. And it's really hard to figure that stuff out when you don't speak the language. I mean, people can use you. It's great. You really get humbled. So we're trying to figure out what she's saying. Well, we finally come to and understand it. And it was so cool because the Lord just gave her Spanish for a while. And she was just able to just speak it and give this lady the exhortation and a little bit, you know, of like, no, this is how God works. Here's where you need to be plugged in. You want to see change in your life. And just speaking words that she didn't even know how to say them in Spanish yet. And it was really cool. It would have been cool if he would have let you have it for, you know, you didn't have to go back and learn it all. But one of those things that's just neat because God got to use it to his glory and you got to use it to speak into this woman's life. And then you have the one right after that. The last one we're going to go over is interpretation and having that person interpret. And we could go through that whole thing, but I'll let you guys go through 1 Corinthians and how that's supposed to be used. Somebody speaks in tongues in a church, there has to be an interpreter there. If there isn't, the person needs to be quiet. That's just how, that's the order of what God's set up in the scriptures. And, and what needs to take place there. Oh, boy. Yeah, we're not going to hit the rest of this. <laughs> All right. Let's just read through the rest of it down to verse 16. It says, for the, and, and here's that part that I, we'll just focus on this to close out. So 
in verse 11, he says, And he himself gave, uh, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. In verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and right here, for the equipping, or for, sorry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by whatever every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And that last verse there is it just goes through and talks about what we have in him, and this is what we're expected. And it says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. All of those gifts there. And then you look, and it says from the whole body. And so it goes back to like what we have. It says, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. And what's talking about in joint supplies, it's talking about the gifts that are used. And so that's what bonds us, guys. If you guys think about all of our joints being taken out of our body, it'd be pretty goofy looking, wouldn't it? It wouldn't function. I mean, we wouldn't be able to stand up straight, you know? We'd just be liquid. It's kind of like not having the bones, but everything wouldn't be put together. And it's so neat that Jesus has done that, that not only do we have our own parts that we have in this body, guys, but what we have as well is we have these gifts, and that's what brings us together, these gifts that he's given us. And it's got to be all about him because he's the one that's going to cause the growth of the body for the edifying of itself, and love has to take place there, doesn't it? Because in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, those have to go together. We'll go over a little bit more next week as we jump into the next part and being that new man, and the next one's awesome. We'll see what we have, but remember next week is short and sweet, and uh, yeah, we'll see if it'll be short. So <laughs> let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you, and just thank you for teaching us through your scriptures, Lord. Just We want to edify each other. Um, Lord, you know that that's our desire, and, and it's unfortunate I know with myself that I let emotions get in there and the feelings and what I feel that I deserve, Lord. And I ask that you just take that from us. And Lord, just an encouragement even with Autumn and what she was talking about and being able to not isolate ourselves with each other, Lord, that we would be open. And I know, Lord, that there's a lot of you know different things even in people's lives, history, and it's kind of scary to open up again because there might be hurt that would come, Lord. And I ask that you just take this from, you know, take that from this church. Lord, that we could trust each other. And Lord, I know even in my own life, not just with the, the times and, and the people that I've been around, but after a while, it's almost as if we become hard just because we want to protect ourselves, Lord. But I pray that you would just open us up, Lord, that we would edify each other, that we would use these gifts that you've given us um, to bring each other closer to you, Lord, and that we could do the work that you've set us out, the work that you've commissioned you know, sending us out to this world. Lord, that we can give them the hope that you've given us. And Lord, that we can just be excited about you and uh, be excited about seeing each other too, Lord, on each Sunday and Wednesday and whatever other times that we get together, Lord. And uh, Lord, we just wanted to be about you. That's what we want, Lord. And so we thank you so much for your blessings and what you've given us. And just give us the strength and the power, Lord, that we could work and do exactly what you've asked us to do, Lord. We love you. Amen.